0: Greetings and welcome back to the clinical data management podcast program presented by IBA. Allow me to introduce myself, I'm Daniel Schwartz and I have a deep passion for all things related to clinical data management. Today's episode is a special one for me. Besides we are starting the second series of this podcast show, we also have a fantastic guest joining us today. Luke Woodham from St. George's University of London, with whom I share a long-standing professional and personal relationship. Luke, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and I'm excited about the conversation we are going to
1: have. Hi Daniel, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm um, looking forward to chatting.
0: Welcome to the Clinical Data Management podcast show by the Institute of Biostatistics and Analysis. Hear from leading experts in clinical research, digital health, biostatistics, informatics, and data science as they share their insights and valuable experiences.
1: From clinical
0: research to data science and more, our guests share best practices that will help you score so tune in to the CDM podcast show by IBA and join us for discussions that will surely make your day. Look, if I'm not mistaken, I first met you in London around 2010, so it might be more than 13 years now. And since then, we have collaborated on several projects together, did meet in various conferences, multiplier events various countries, various cities, so it sounds that I may know you well and I respect you as an experienced computer scientist active in medical education. But anyway, would you agree to introduce yourself to our listeners of this episode, please?
1: of course yes uh, i think you do know me well daniel but uh am um, hopefully <laughs> there'll be some interesting stuff um yeah so i'm luke woodham i'm the head of the e-learning unit at st george's university of london which is a um, dedicated medicine and healthcare sciences um, university working on training health healthcare professionals of different types um and yeah i've i've been there since 2008 i'm part of the learning unit part of the center for technology and education and we work with students and software and resources for the students um i'm my role is i came in as a technical developer um Mm -hmm. so i had a background and previously i worked um before then in um making databases and software and data conversions for law libraries um which was a very different line of work but actually brought some useful things along as well in in the role when i started and as you say we've worked together on numerous projects and Uh, meetings since 2010, I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I am very glad that you pronounced several times uh, the word data. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know that this podcast is mainly about data management. And data management is quite a broad topic. So could you please explain your understanding of it within the context of um, medical educational informatics?
1: Sure. Well, for me, I think... um, I don't think of myself primarily as working with data, but we do on a regular basis. And I think for me, data management is really about finding the right balance between data as an asset and data as a liability. Mm -hmm. Um, It's making sure that we keep the data that we need um, and that we keep it in a form that's both useful and secure, but Mm -hmm. that we don't keep data that we don't need and data that we don't use or that we collect for the sake of it, because that, is that's a hindrance not a help so that's what i see as data management really in a very broad sense it's about knowing what data you're collecting and therefore managing it appropriately and what you're going to need it for
0: yeah and maybe selecting the useful data and Mm -hmm. uh, not selecting the noisy data absolutely Yeah. yeah okay are there any particular challenges or opportunities in data management for your area, I mean the medical, educational, informatics again, that you have encountered in your work recently?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of challenges and I think there's lots of challenges that we haven't yet addressed with mm-hmm. data. I think... The data available to us in education is changing a lot. Um, has continued to change, I think, over the last few years. The um, the pandemic has meant a lot more learning is online. A lot, um, a lot more learning is blended or mediated by technology in some way, and I think that changes the data that's available to us. Um, so, you know some of the challenges we haven't solved i think it would be fair to say so we have um we have we have challenges of identifying you know how our students engage with their learning um how you know and what that used to look like in terms of data is very different to what it looks like now um we you know it used to be about students that would be in a room and and that would be participating lessons in that way increasingly now though it's about how students are participating in activities on our virtual learning environment what analytics that generates things like that and this is data this is stuff that we haven't explored yet to be honest um i think at our institution lots of other institutions have and so i think there are challenges like that how we can use data to support students, um, data potentially offers the opportunity to um, identify support needs uh, much earlier, You know, so to see, see where students are struggling, where they're, where they're performing well, um, what sort of data we can use for assessment. So there's, there's all sorts of things that come up and I think we're just starting to scratch the surface on what it can do, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think, look, that you are very modest here because I know that you already opened that door and maybe could you provide an example of uh, some interesting project in which you were involved and describe how data or data management played a critical role in its success?
1: Yeah, I definitely can. Actually, it's probably the one that springs to mind is from quite quite a long time ago. Um, and it's it's sort of data not in terms of data that's generated but data that's been created so in the form of the information that makes up learning resources that makes up um makes up um learning and um content and Mm -hmm. seeing that as data so we worked with a an organization called medbiquitous that was at the time run from um johns hopkins in baltimore Um, this organization is now part of the american association of medical colleges um, but still going and they promote and develop data standards in healthcare and where i first became involved with them we were working as part of a program called evip which was a ec funded um project to create virtual patients learning resources that would capture fictional um, um, fictional patient journeys and to develop them into learning resources and the content that made up this is data and it was um, a data standard was created through working with MedBitquitas that allowed us to take these this content that is quite hard to create quite time consuming to create and to share it across multiple institutions and to adapt it to different cultures. And, um, it was very, we created a a bank of cases that allowed us to share these resources across, across Europe and really help bring them to awareness of the possibilities for these sorts of resources and popularity, popularity of them. This same standard also helped us to solve a problem that the transportability of these um, of this data standard that was allowed us to sort of encode these resources in a way that we could move them, allowed us to move between systems. So it allowed us to, um, when one system um, perhaps wasn't supported as well anymore, we were able to move it to a new system that was that had greater levels of support. It also allowed us to back up all our all our resources to another fail safe solution, so that if our services went down, we the students didn't miss out so Mm -hmm. actually this quite simple mechanism of taking these resources and encoding them and sharing them as well as being great for you know popularizing resources has operationally for probably about 12 years has given us this fail-safe that, so that we haven't had a situation where our students can't get at their learning when they have these sessions that are very time-bound, very important, fundamental to their curriculum and to their learning. And the data has been able to help us make sure that we maintain that and deliver it effectively.
0: Great. Interesting. So, med if I'm not mistaken, this is the production or development of uh, healthcare education standards. You, you mentioned that you you needed the standard to be able to share uh, the resources. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me something also from the clinical data management, because we also use some standards, some common taxonomies to be able, for example, to fuse databases and, and later exploit bigger data. Do you see also this similarity or commonality between quite distant areas of healthcare education and healthcare provision or even clinical research.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean I'm I'm not a clinician. I would never profess to be, but there are absolutely but there are there are definite parallels across that. I mean when once you start talking about research the research data that you collect, then obviously there are similar challenges there in what you collect, what you use, how you do it, making, you know, how you share it, making sure it's secure, not identifiable, lots of common things there. The data standards around this stuff, I I think the challenges that we face across different fields when it comes to data are often common because so many things link in, it's all interlinked.
0: Okay so we have these similarities or commonalities between uh, these areas I mean the clinical research healthcare or digital health and uh, medical education but what about what about some key differences I mean in uh, from the perspective of data management
1: Yeah I guess so I mean I think in medical education the some of the differences perhaps have been that the data sets we have historically worked with are much smaller. You know, mm-hmm. they're not, they don't tend to, they haven't historically been huge data sets. They are linked to student records. They are linked to perhaps assessment and performance. Yeah, and potentially... there are
0: no, no omics data, no imaging data.
1: No, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're small data sets, but I think, and so the way you treat that is slightly different. You know, you have to, And I mean, medical education, a lot of the data actually is likely to be um, qualitative as well. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this this is um, the data that's most insightful um, is not necessarily what we often think of as data, but it is. And it's it's open ended responses. It's descriptive. It's opinions. It's um, things like that. And so obviously that has a very different level of interpretation you're 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 starting to look really at diving into the detail whereas in perhaps some other um forms of data collection where you're getting large data sets you're you're looking at the big picture you're trying to get the overall image rather than perhaps delving into some of the detail i think it's quite it's quite a different discipline in its way um in its own way so there are similarities there are differences I do think perhaps what we're going to be faced with in education is changing. You know, I think our data sets are going to start getting bigger. They're going to start capturing more information and we're going to be having to take more, as we do research in it, A, we're going to have to um, look after the security of it very, very carefully, um, as we already do. But we're going to have to start taking, you know, potentially, learning some of the analytic techniques from looking at bigger data sets taking more impressionistic views and i'm thinking about things like experience api as a data standard Mm -hmm. that's um being increasingly widely used and the sorts of activity data that will capture you know rather than capturing data at fixed points you're going to be capturing a flow of data and where instead of the individual points meaning something the trends are going to mean more the 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 difference between points is going to mean more i think currently with educational data what you're really looking at is data as a set of fixed points as a set of snapshots and that's telling you the picture not the movement between them and i i think that's something that we're going to have to get used to in my field and probably learn new techniques to deal with and Mm -hmm. um, involve more data scientists Mm -hmm, in it and and that's not something that has happened a lot so far
0: yeah you you mentioned activity data uh, Mm. with that um, remind me the the term with uh, it was XAPI
1: XAPI or experience API yeah Yeah,
0: I would call it maybe behavioral data of students Mm. or learners Uh, maybe we can think about them as quite sensitive data. So Mm -hmm. am I right in thinking that uh, once you want to collect such a type of data, behavioral data about the learners, are you approaching also some challenges in um, terms of data privacy, like we are used to have them in clinical research? Mm -hmm. Is it, for example, normal for you to think about informed consent? when you are approaching your students or learners?
1: Absolutely. Um, For almost everything we do these days, we have to apply to ethics committees, Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. um, research ethics or uh, things like that to actually put together organized protocols. And those all include what are we going to do with the data? How long, what data are we collecting? How long are we going to retain that data for? We have to have a plan for it up front. We can't collect the, you know, I think in the past, there was a tendency to collect the data and then work out what we were going to do with it. That's not such an option anymore. We have to do, we have to have a plan for what we are collecting, why we're collecting it, how we're gonna use it, get consent from our participants for that. Similarly, in my sort of more operational role with the university where we are providing students with systems, whenever we get a new system or we look at integrating systems with each other, we have to look at the data protection aspects of that. So ethics applications, data protection impact assessments are all a regular and slightly painful part of my job. Yeah, um, and this is the, yeah,
0: sorry, sorry. And I, I think this is a very nice example of the commonality or the similarity between our fields. Okay, so look, You mentioned the standards. Let's go back to the standards Mm -hmm. because this is something very very attractive for data managers. Uh, You mentioned the MedBegittes standard for virtual patients. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also said that the standard was pretty stable, uh, that you used it for quite uh, several years. But how do you see these standards evolving in the future to meet the changing needs of healthcare professionals and the learners. Is there any movement?
1: Uh, absolutely there is. I mean, I think I continue to have some involvement with Medbiquitous and I see the way things are changing there in terms of the work that's being done through that organization. I mean, w- 10 years ago, we were looking at relatively you know, fixed standards for encoding you know fixed levels of data um xml was the technology that was used for all Mm -hmm. the specifications at that point uh now increasingly we're looking at standards more in the sense of how systems integrate how they change um thinking about um apis for exchanging data rather than, you know, just exchanging da- um, data as files. We're looking at streams of data. We're moving, it's moving much more towards using technologies such as JSON to um, encode that sort of information away yeah. from XML. Um, and and yeah, it's really looking at those, those systems and those data flows and those APIs and trying to standardize what those mean um, sort of you know moving forward for a new sort of for a newer era as as the way we're using these technologies differs really so it's it's absolutely shifting and i think continuing to shift
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i completely agree look you you mentioned now a lot of technologies apis etc and but previously several minutes ago you mentioned also the uh, increasing need of data scientists so What is more important for you, the tools or the people side of the business?
1: I mean, it's always going to be the people, the tools... Uh, you know the tool um perhaps artificial intelligence apart (laughs) the tools aren't going to actually make decisions or do things for you or make value judgments and i think and even with artificial intelligence i suspect value judgments are still going to be something we're going to have to rely on humans for a long time so i think the people are so important um, in terms of making those value judgments about how important data is, what the data actually can tell you. Um, you know the tool can't really tell you that. they they can tell you what the data is, what it shows, but it doesn't tell you what it means. And I think that's where we still need humans to understand what it means the people to work with it. Also, the tools cannot yet make ethical judgments about mm-hmm. how we protect data and what we need to do. So fortunately, Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Not
0: yet. laughs> yeah, I like your point of view. Definitely, people are also more important for us. And uh, how how are you fixing the problem with increasing needs of uh, data scientists? Are you doing all data science yourself, or do you have no. uh, data managers <laughs> and scientists in your team?
1: I we I don't think we have that yet, but I think we're increasingly moving towards that. So at the university, we're I think looking to better understand the opportunities for the data that we have and work towards it, and will be, you know, I think we will be looking to have um, data scientists involved in our work in the near future to a great to a greater extent. Thus far, um, the experts on working with data at our institution tend to be researchers because they have a longer history of working with data and managing data and things like that but i think as we look to make increased use of analytics um, you know dynamic data that changes over time that needs to be up to date i think there will be an increasing need for data scientists tools that da- data scientists can use um, and for people that understand what that data can and can't tell us. So mm-hmm. I, I see that as a way we're moving. I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, at least not in my team, but I think we will, we will be getting there quite soon.
0: Yeah. looking forward to it and, uh, also to your future, future experience with that. Now a tricky question. Have you ever, encountered any instances where poor data management practices might have uh, led to uh, negative consequences or problems. I mean, something we call in this uh, podcast show a data management fuck up, <laughs> which you encountered and maybe from which you did learn something. Can you share something like this with our listeners?
1: It's tricky almost certainly yes <laughs> but trying to trying to think about it and identify it now is quite quite challenging because these things are always wrapped up in other things i think we've certainly there've certainly been situations where we've worked with messy das- data sets um and inevitably you know they, they weren't designed with some of their future uses or purposes in mind necessarily when they're old and to try and unpick those is a huge amount of work. So, um, moving between systems, sometimes there's a a lot of cleaning up needs to go on. I guess without specific examples, there are also situations where an individual understands a particular data set, but that understanding is perhaps not well documented or shared or understood. And if that individual moves on or becomes unavailable, then you have a challenge there with, you know, data that's orphaned or data that we don't know what to do with or not knowing what data we have that we then have to audit all that data and carry through that. And I know that is something that ours and lots of universities do um, I think on an annual basis is audit the data sets and people have to go back and look at the data that they hold. And quite often this is not necessarily digital data. This can also be hard copy data that is on paper Mm. and people have to go back and understand. And that's where it's really important that we understand what we have and go through that. So. I don't think I've got a specific example for you, but general things where that feeds into an increased workload or increased burden, I think probably are the best I can suggest right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if I understood it well, you, you may be uh, saying that uh, let's prevent poor design and or avoid poor design and let's focus a little bit more on data quality. And I liked your uh, yeah, auditing data. We may call it data reviews. This is something also common in uh, clinical research uh, which helps uh, very much to maintain the data quality which is then needed when you, when you want to do the final analysis. Okay, very well indeed. So I think that we are coming or approaching the end of this episode. Yeah, this was the data management Today, not only in the area of medical educational informatics, uh, and from the perspectives of Luke Woodham, a uh, respectful and experienced computer scientist and educational technologist. Luke, thank you very much for your time and also for sharing your insights on data management with us and with our listeners. Uh, for me, it was again a really big pleasure to meet you here even online and yeah let me wish you a lot of success with the upcoming challenges with upcoming uh, lots of learning online and Mm. uh, capturing data about behaviors of students etc
1: thank you very much for inviting me to speak with you daniel i really appreciate it and it's been a pleasure
0: pleasure myself thank you very much And uh, I must also send many thanks to our listeners for being with us whether you are a data manager data analyst or data engineer you can already look forward to the next episodes of this podcast program which i believe may represent a solid inspiration to the data management community learn from the best stay tuned i am daniel Schwarz and this is the clinical data management best practices podcast program presented by iba